All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Results may vary. See chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Monday edition of The Yard. Yep, a little bit later than usual. Late night for your boy last night. I had a great time. Oh my gosh, I can't even begin to explain. Such a great time at Howlin' Mouse, a historic venue there in Jackson, Mississippi. Went to see Lillian Axe, Enough's Enough, and Faster Pussycat. I had uh, never seen Enough's Enough, and I uh, had the opportunity to... Uh, you had to see them for the first time, and I met Chip and uh, and all the guys in the bands. Man, it was a great day, and I got a chance to uh, to interview members of each band on the Clay Edwards show. And if you're looking for that content, you can find it on the Save Jackson Facebook page. That's Save J X N Save Jackson. That's uh, Clay's uh, personal Facebook uh, little business there. He's got. Go check it out. It was a blast, an absolute blast. Uh, 15-year-old me would be awfully, awfully impressed at how things have turned out, to say the least. But uh, So I want to thank Clay Edwards, too, for inviting me to do that. I was already going to the show, and Clay hit me up yesterday morning and said, hey, I had this kind of an epiphany. Why don't you come help me interview the bands? And uh, I, I can't say thank you enough to Clay. It was just wonderful for him to think of me. And obviously, I'm a, a huge fan of the era, and so had a chance to go you know, talk about music with some people that I really love and respect. And so, you know, anytime you get a chance to do something kind of cool like that, I think you got to do it. And so I was late getting back and I simply needed to get some rest. And so I did. I'm getting old. I've been working my fingers to the bone here as of late too. I already wrote four chapters for the new book and we'll write uh, about five more this week. That's the plan anyway. We'll see how that progresses. Got to be back in Jackson a couple times this week too. So it's a busy week, and uh, you guys will still get your three shows. But, uh, yeah, again, Clay, what an awesome guy, man. Really, really cool. He's a former promoter of concerts there in Jackson. And uh, he, Melissa Kirksey, uh, Brandy from Howlin' Mouse, Brian Johnson, everybody that uh, that made that happen. Uh, you know, it was just um, – it was great. And uh, so grateful for the fine folks, you know, from Lillian Axe and, and 
enough's enough and faster pussycat for spending some time with me you know stevie blaze and i'll share this with you too you know so when i was a kid i say a kid you know i was a teenager you know we had all heard about lillian axe you know kind of coming up and stevie's a mississippi guy married a mississippi girl and it was one of those deals too where you know when stevie made it we all kind of felt like we made it too you know we felt like we were kind of part of that movement you know the jackson rock scene was so great back then it's not now and it's a shame really we need we need to fix that i don't know if we need to put some you know battle of the bands together or whatever we we need to find a way to get that going again and we really do Maybe we can host that at one of those venues and get some sponsorship and do something really cool, but um, something to think about. But, you know, when you know Stevie and Lillian Axe and those guys began to kind of rise to power and uh, recorded an album, it was just one of those things that I think that, you know, we all just felt like we were part of it. And now, you know, 30-some-odd years later, Stevie's still playing and is still a phenomenal artist, and there's not a nicer guy around than stevie blaze i mean absolutely love that guy and uh he's so incredibly grateful for you for the fans and there was a lot of a lot of old 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 lillian axe fans out there some folks that uh, used to go to the creek saloon all uh, turned out uh last night and listen i know it's tough on sunday night when you got to get up and go to work monday morning but they had a chance to visit with stevie and of course uh chibs enough from enough's enough and and uh, i had a friend I've talked about him on the show before. I guess he's still my friend. We just hadn't talked to him in years. A buddy named Benny Bruce that left Slidell, Louisiana, drove to Hollywood, packed everything he owned in a Chevy S10 with a camper shell, and went out to Hollywood with no plan whatsoever except to try to talk the band tough and let him play keyboards for them. So he goes out there, begs them for you know weeks, and finally gets the gig and so it didn't work out after a few months he came back home and uh actually put together put together a band that you guys maybe be familiar with called the molly ringwalds how about that a lot of a lot of a lot of a lot of you know water under the bridge since then but i asked him one day i said who was the nicest guy in hollywood who's the nicest guy you know in the sunset strip you know rock scene and he said chip's enough and i had a chance to share that with chip last night and uh i don't know if he remembers benny or not but everybody you talk to, even the other bands, will tell you, oh, man, Chip is the best. And Chip actually hosts a uh, radio show on a new free radio app called Dash Radio. I haven't checked it out yet, but uh, he kind of, uh, you know, pumped that up on the show yesterday. So check that out. You know, he says it's like the next thing, like kind of an alternative to Sirius XM. He and Snoop Dogg both uh, host shows on there, which I think is super, super cool. And then some time, I spent some time with uh, Chad, Danny, and Sam from, from Faster Pussycat on there. I had a chance to speak to Christian and Tammy uh, off air. We just couldn't work it out with Tammy. would have loved to have been able to sit down and visit with him, one of the legends, you know, in the 80s metal scene. And uh, still doing a great job. That's the thing. A lot of these guys that are back out on the road, you know, a lot of it's a cash grab. And they're just, you know, they don't have other jobs. And maybe they didn't manage their money well. But, you know, Tammy is still performing and singing at a high level. And so uh, we're going to do a top ten today of – a faster pussycat tracks probably come back uh, later in the week and we'll do a lillian axe one how about that that'd be really cool i'm excited about it to be honest with you but a, a incredible experience and you know again to brian and mk and and uh and clay and and branding everybody involved and we're gonna we're gonna do more of this stuff too and, and that was the thing that was i guess the most rewarding about all of it is every guy in the band comes up after the show and after they play you know before they leave and they're like hey man thanks so much for taking some time to give us a chance to talk about music and showing some interest in the band and uh 
yeah, again, we, I'd love to do more of that stuff, and it uh, looks like we're going to have some more opportunities to do that. Uh, Chad from from Faster Pussycat told me, you know, after, right before they were set, he goes, man, that's one of the funnest interviews I've ever done. That means a lot to me. And it helps when you know the band and you know the catalog and you're not just up there kind of just, you know, winging it. You know, I had questions I wanted to ask. I mean, I wanted, as soon as, as, soon as Clay gave me the opportunity, uh, I got up, I got cleaned up and got in the car and got on down there so we could kind of get the day going. So I was there from noon until, uh, until midnight. So it was a long day. And I, I thought about recording the show when I got home, but man, by the time I got to Winona, I was, I was doing the best I could just to stay awake. And so the quality of the show wouldn't have been very good. So here we are today. But um, again, you know, there are some opportunities in life that come around and you think, man, how cool would it be to do this? And for me, having a chance to sit and talk sports with so many of, uh, you know, of our Bulldog greats, having a chance to talk to college players and coaches around the country is, is an honor to me. But there are some things you do, even if it doesn't help pay the bills, just because it matters to you. And that's what yesterday was for me. It was one of the greatest days, man. It was absolutely great. And just being able to hang out all day and, and talk to these people and get their stories and, and just hear things about, you know, bands and, and venues and, you know, times in your life that they're important to you. And there's just so much of that that happens in life that I just, you know, you, know, you guys know what a big music guy I'm in. And so music guy I am but uh, being able to kind of sit and chill you know for a while and uh, you know t- talk about tunes and that sort of stuff is something that I don't ever uh, I never shy away from to say the least all right Bulldog Burger Company longtime sponsors of this show man I love Bulldog Burger Company I always have and I suspect I always will be like one of those uh, you know one of those long lost loves perhaps but the good thing is I can still partake in the products of Bulldog Burger Company anytime I want to. And you should too. Three great locations to serve you. Lake Harbor Drive there in Ridgeland. University Drive here in Star Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Go by Have the Spring Rolls. It'll make you and everybody around you better looking. And that, listen, that cheese fondue they do is next level. It really is. Really, really great. I think the, the Spring Rolls are the best appetizer in the Golden Triangle. I, I, I think bar none. And I love the burgers, love the fries. The thing that I always kind of emphasize to you guys is portions. How many times do you go somewhere, you're all excited to eat, and then you leave wanting a little bit more? That's not going to be the case at Bulldog Burger Company. No, indeed. You're going to get your money's worth and then some at Bulldog Burger Company. Bring the kids, bring the wife, go have an adult beverage, have that chocolate shake to go. You'll be glad you did. Again, three, three locations. It's an empire now. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. My voice sounds a little deeper or raspier today. It's because I yelled the lyrics to every song last night that I knew. And even some of the ones I didn't, I just kind of yelled my way through it. So, working through it, for sure. Working through it. All right, so SEC Media Days get ready to kick off. And uh, I am not there. I haven't been in a few years. Dave Murray usually goes for us. But this year, Mike Nemeth is going for us at jeanspage.com. So we'll have full coverage, not just of what happens on the SEC network, but there will be an opportunity for some of us in the print and digital media to have a chance to speak to uh, to Mike Leach off camera. So we'll see how that progresses. Mike will have that, so if you want to keep up with that, again, check in at jeanspage.com. That content will be free. We do do a lot of VIP content for our members, and I encourage you, if you're not a member, go check it out today. That's jeanspage.com. If you're a Mississippi State fan and you're not subscribing to Jeanspage, I don't think you're doing it right. 
you know, maybe I'm biased, but uh, nobody covers Mississippi State like we do. We take a lot of pride in it. It is our passion. So today's show is going to be dedicated to the burning questions about SEC Media Day. You know, the burning questions that each team's going to face. What, what, what concern each team has, what they need to kind of pre- prepare for and kind of correct this year. Now, there is going to be a lot of discussion about name, image, and likeness. And a lot of it's going to be repetitive. A lot of it's going to be boring. A lot of it's going to be prepared, canned comments that some media relations directors already put together for the, uh, for the coaches and players. But I suspect that will be the driving theme of SEC Media Days, and probably rightfully so. You guys know my opinion about this. NCAA has really drugged their feet on this, and now they've allowed the federal oversight to get involved. And you know, anytime the federal government has to get involved in something, it's, it's usually a negative. And that's not to be anti-government. But, you know, as, as an independent entity like the NCAA, you should just kind of keep your own house in order. And I think that's an indictment on Mark Emmert and the leadership of the NCAA. They just simply should not have allowed it to get to this point. Because now you're just along for the ride like everybody else. You're no longer in control of things. You've kind of deferred that responsibility to other people that don't necessarily understand college athletics. So we'll see how things progress. But that'll be that, – that will be – you know, the prevailing conversation in many respects. So let's jump into each team here. Again, I've got um, I got a couple things about each team. Done my research this morning uh, to kind of prepare this. So let's, let's start with Arkansas. You know, Arkansas kind of surprised some people early on last year. Sam Pittman is a culture-changing guy. You know, the culture at Arkansas when Sam got there was absolutely rotten. And a lot of people kind of pan the hire. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? You went and hired George as a line coach? But, of course, Sam has some – you know, has some relationships at Arkansas. But the main thing with Sam, too, is, you know, Sam's a football coach that has a very, very positive message. And I don't necessarily mean a Pollyannish message, but you know, he's a guy that believes in empowerment and encouragement, and he really fires those guys up. He's got this great personality. And, and uh, the yes, sir thing kind of annoys some people. I think it's kind of funny. But, uh, but the bottom line is, you know, they go out and hire Sam, and it was kind of an out-of-the-box deal. And I think they surprised some people early on just because of the fact they played so hard for him. And that's really what coaching is, is you spend the practice time and you help refine the skill, you prepare the guys to go play, and then you convince them they can go do it. And that's what I think Sam does a really good job of. Now, will they be better this year? I don't know. And to be fair, you know, I think a lot of it's going to center around the quarterback position. You know, Felipe Franks last year was a grad transfer from Florida. And uh, was good. It wasn't great. He was good. Made some mistakes at times. But now you've got K.J. Jefferson. And that's where Felipe Franks, I think, kind of steps in as a stopgap guy to kind of give K.J. a time to develop a little bit. And we saw K.J. do some decent things against us after the last time we went up there and blew them out. And, of course, they put him in the game too late. But, uh, you know, K.J. is a guy from North Panola High School. You know, we, we recruited him or misrecruited him. He goes to Arkansas and uh, now in line to be the starting quarterback there. So we'll see how things progress because I really think Arkansas is going to be as good as K.J. Jefferson uh, can be. Big arm, big, tall, physical quarterback. The thing that worries me a little bit about K.J. is just kind of the speed of the game. You know, he is an athlete, but, you know, what happens, you know, when things break down? How quickly can he process information? That's going to be the bigger issue with him. Felipe Franks, not known as a great decision maker either. The, and then that's the thing, too. KJ's a younger guy that's still kind of developing, so you know, he could probably you kind of refine that part of his game. But the quarterback position is going to be big. Now, Arkansas defensively 
wasn't great down the stretch last year, but I don't take that as an indictment on Barry Odom in any stretch. I think Barry Odom is a great, great defensive coach, and I do think he'll get an opportunity to be a head coach once again. But they wore down a little bit down the stretch due to a lack of depth, and a lot of that was attributed to COVID. You remember Sam Pittman himself got COVID, and they, they, they like Mississippi State, had a lot of depth issues, and some of that's contact tracing and that sort of stuff. So it's difficult to get a real barometer on the defense. But they've got to be better next year. They absolutely have to be better. And that's the thing about that roster, too. There's not a lot of people on there you look and say, okay, this guy's a difference maker. You know, they've had some guys leave the program, you know, some guys that were expected to be contributors on offense. And so, in many respects, it's, even though it's not the first year, it's still kind of a transition year because there's still so many moving parts. First-time starter in KJ, obviously. Um, you know, they, they've got you know some some quality offensive players, but uh, you know maybe not you know what they would like to have there. You know, and defensively again, they're they're in transition. I think the scheme is good. And I think Barry did a good job against Mississippi State, as you guys are well aware. And a lot of that too was KJ Costello. That they forced KJ Costello to kind of second guess, and in some cases third guess himself, and uh, forced some mistakes. I honestly believe if Will Rogers starts that game, we win the football game. They came in here in Starville, and they, and they beat us. And, and Arkansas should have beat Auburn. You remember that bad call where they, uh, where Bo Nix uh, basically gave the game away, and then the officials gave it back. But Arkansas, again, I think will be a decent team. I don't think they'll be a great team. I don't think they're going to be, like, in the mix to really, you know, upset somebody or, or win a marquee game. And this is a game Mississippi State's going to have to go on the road win. But I think we're capable of doing so. But, again, Arkansas, again, will go as far as K.J. takes them. Let's talk Alabama, and similar to Arkansas, right, in some respects, because of the quarterback situation. Alabama obviously has a lot more to work with talent-wise up there. You know, Mac Jones was a guy, too, that kind of waited his time, played behind Tua, and then played his way into a first-round draft selection. And and most times we would say, well, you know, you don't lose a first-round draft pick at quarterback and get better. But, you know, that might not be the case. But can Bryce Young at quarterback at Alabama be prime time? You know, I think if you're going to get Alabama, you got to get them early, which is going to be kind of difficult to do you know, because everybody else is kind of working through things too. So I think if you have somebody that you know, maybe returns a lot of uh, you know, defensive players and maybe you confuse him a little bit, but he's an ultra-talented guy, what you'd expect to be at Alabama. You know, they, don't, they don't sign many developmental players at the University of Alabama. Sometimes they do on defense, but they don't have to especially on offense. They just don't They don't have to go out and get that guy that dominant in the rough. And so Bryce Young is a guy that uh, will, will be the starter and needs to have a big year. I think one of the things that really helps Bryce is Bill O'Brien coming in as an offensive coordinator. You know, this is a guy that has coached at the highest levels, understands how to develop quarterbacks, understands offensive play. Good hire by Nick Saban. And, you know, let's be honest. I mean, if you, is, is there a better job? In college football, to maybe be in the offensive coordinator at Alabama? I don't know. I, I think one could make the case. There have been a lot of guys that have had that job that have gone on to be head coaches, and, and you know, maybe, maybe that's what Bill O'Brien wants to do long term. But I think it's a great hire for Alabama, and I think it's a good situation for Bryce Young. So how that marriage between the two of them, O'Brien and Young, kind of comes to fruition will, be, will, will probably in many ways kind of define whether or not Alabama can compete for a championship. Listen, they're going to be a great team, going to contend in the West, probably win the West, even if Bryce Young is not 
an ultra superstar this year because of all the, the you know the supporting cast. But Alabama again will be Alabama, but will they be as good as they have been? That's really the question. Uh, let's talk Auburn. A lot of people are really down on Auburn. I'm not. I'll be honest with you. I'm not down on Auburn. I don't think they contend for the West. But I think Auburn can be pretty good this year because you've got a lot to work with. You know, Harson's coming in, and listen, there's a lot of the same elements offensively that Gus Malzahn ran, that Harson's going to run. And so it's not some vast departure schematically, which is kind of what we went through in many respects with, uh, you know, with Mullen and Moorhead. You know, we didn't want to do all the zone read stuff, and we didn't do the mesh point stuff quite as much as we did with Dan. You know, Dan's really a guy that kind of spreads you out, runs football. You know, he's he's more of that power spread rather than uh, you know what we see with the air raid. And so, but I I don't think it'll be a seamless transition between uh, Malzahn and Harson. But I think I think there will be some bumps in the road. But I think Bo Nix is a lot better than people give him credit for. Yeah, and he is the guy too. The decision making uh, process has got to be better. But he is an athletic quarterback. I mean, how many times did you see State send a guy free and then Nix just run away from pressure? You know, just tuck it and go and get outside and extend the play. And so when you've got a new scheme, you're going to have some mistakes. You're going to have some bust on the offensive line. You're going to have some bust in protections. And you need a quarterback out there that can uh, can still you know, make something out of nothing. I think Nix can do those things. I, I really do. And uh, I think he is going to have a better year uh, than most, most people expect. And I think he's got to take the next step, you know, for Auburn to really improve as a football team. I think that is a really big part of things is that Nick's not only does he need to be an athlete, he's got to get this offense down and run it very proficiently because this is a very unforgiving neighborhood in which we all live. And, yeah, is Auburn a good bowl team? Yeah, I think so. Do they contend in the West? No, I don't think so. I've seen some people pick them as low as fifth. I think that is kind of fool's gold. And I think defensively they can be decent. You know, I think they're a team – you know, Auburn always tends to have athletes. And um, so I'm eager to kind of see how this thing progresses with them. I, I really think that coaching staff is maybe a little bit better than people are giving them credit for. So we'll see how Auburn uh, progresses here in the, in, in the weeks to come. But, uh, again – much like Arkansas and Alabama, and really can be said for any team in the country, but I think because of the fact that um, the quarterback position obviously is so instrumental uh, with all of this, these guys have something to prove. All three of these guys, even though Nix has a lot more SEC experience, they all have something to prove. And, and that, you know, Nix comes in, you know, with the, the weight of his last name. You know, his dad was a great quarterback at Auburn, and so there's some high expectations. But guys like that, you know, they, they tend to play – for the name on the front of the jersey. You know, if you grow up cheering for a team, you understand what it means. It's kind of like Mississippi State in baseball, right? And so you, you understand when you when you put that M over S insignia over your heart, you're playing for something bigger than yourself. And so for a guy like Bo Nix, you know, that grew up coming to games at Jordan-Harris Stadium and hated Alabama his whole life, he understands that there is a legacy there. It's not just, okay, well, this is my college ball. I'm going to go play four years and I'm going to get a job somewhere if I don't make the NFL. No, he understands that these legacies are lasting. He, he's been there. He watched Cam Newton win an Apple championship. He's in the stands. You know, and so all of those things, I think, are important. Uh, you know, a part, a part of this Auburn story is you've got a guy that is an Auburn man that's your quarterback at Auburn. And I think that's a big, big thing. And I think in a year like this where sometimes you need a guy to kind of gut you through and will you to a win, I think Nick could probably do that. 
All right, let's go ahead and jump into this top 10 list brought to you by johnnypacker.com. johnnypacker.com. Talked to Brandon a couple days ago. Still working through some inventory stuff, man, getting you guys taken care of. It's been great. You guys bought a bunch of glasses. Let me save you a little money on the next pair, right? johnnypacker.com. Use promo code BONEYARD to save 10%. And then a portion of your purchase, the profits from your purchase, is donated directly to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Listen, these are not these... You know, these sunglasses you buy at a truck stop. That's not what you're looking at here. This is quality construction, some German engineering there. It won't, it won't pinch your nose. They ride well on your face. And if you, if you drive as much as I do, you understand how bad sunglasses can kind of ruin the, ruin the deal, right? You're riding along there, and next thing you know, you've got these little red marks on your nose because the, the glasses just don't fit right, and they don't sit well on your face. You want to take them off, but then you can't because you're driving into the sun. Get something that matters. Get something that's got quality construction. And understand the difference in price and cost. Because, you know, you buy these sunglasses, these little cheap sunglasses at Walmart or wherever else, and you're like, oh, well, this will do. But they won't do. You know, it's not good enough. If everything was just good enough, would anything be good enough? And that's what you deserve for yourself. Invest in yourself. Invest in your vision. Protect your eyes. Go to johnnypacker.com, promo code BONEYARD. And listen, if the frames you want show is sold out, shoot them an email, they'll get them on order for you. Simple as that. johnnypacker.com. Today's top 10 list, I cannot believe we hadn't done this one yet, especially since I've been to see them at shows uh, recently. But it's faster pussycat, man. I told you guys before the show, I mean, before this segment, absolutely going to do faster pussycat today. And, And I guess yesterday makes it a little more timely for me in many respects. Love the band. Love their catalog. And listen, it's a little different. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like Aerosmith on steroids. You know, there's a lot of double entendre. You know, some of these songs are probably not ones you'd want to play around your kids. Probably play by yourself. A little bit of a guilty pleasure. Uh, listen, I dig them. I absolutely do. And uh, having a chance to spend some time with them here the, the past year or so has been great. Uh, Danny, the bass player, he is uh, slim tender on, uh, on social media. Just a tremendous guy, a guy that uh, that loves the fans, loves the fans. So today's list suggested by Laddie Weems. He sent me a request for Faster Pussycat and L.A. Guns. We'll get to L.A. Guns a little bit later. But uh, there you go, Laddie. Here's your list. And so because I am such a fan, you know, some of these are not necessarily going to be the hits. Now, the hits are on here, but some of these songs that are my favorites that um, – you know, aren't going to be maybe in somebody else's group. So let me give a few honorable mentions too. Uh, Friends, that's one that um, I, I think most people probably don't even know that song. And it's uh, it's about what it's basically, you know, exactly what it's about. It's friends. It's gratitude for the people around you that, that spend time and care about you. And, you know, I'm a guy that struggles with that sometimes too. And you'd say, well, Steve, that makes a lot of sense. A lot of people know who you are. And it's true. Most of those people are acquaintances, you know, and that's not to, to diminish you know, our relationship, but you know, I've got some people out there that I've joked with you guys before. I've got some friends in Starkville that'll help me move. I've got friends in Marion County that'll help me move a body, you know? Um, but you know, time is not kind to those friendships at times, you know, it is in the distance and things come happening. And so when I hear that song, it just reminds me of all the really good friends I've had in my life. And I try to be a great friend. I really do. I try to be a friend to everybody as best I can, sometimes to my own peril. 
the brand new one is Nola, and it's uh, the first and kind of a piecemeal thing towards a new album. So Nola is a brand new one. It also is the first time that Sam Bam Colton uh, has been recorded live, who's the new guitar player for Faster Pussycat. And uh, it's a great one. It really is. It's new. It's a little different for them. I think you'll dig it. They played it last night. Phenomenal. Uh, off of Wake Me When It's Over, It's Gonna Walk. That's a good one. It's about, it's about a breakup. And I love the... Uh, the cover of You're So Vain. You know, we don't, I try not to include covers. Sometimes I'll miss one of these country songs. People say, oh, you know, you don't remember Buck Owens recorded that? No, I don't record, remember Buck Owens recording that. No, I, I don't. We know Roy Clark. No, no, I don't, I don't, I don't. You know, so I do the best I can, but this rock stuff I usually get. But You're So Vain, originally a Carly Simon song, and, and uh, Faster Pussycat did it, and, and it really kind of made it a little more tongue in cheek. I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite covers of all time. But here's a top 10 list. Number 10, Ain't No Way Around It. That's off Wave Me When It's Over. They played it last night. They've added it to the set list for this run. It was absolutely phenomenal. I loved being able to I've never heard that song live before, so it was great. Number 9, this goes back to the first album, the self-titled album, Don't You Change That Song. And obviously it's, uh, you know, it's about the old jukebox days, right? And so what would happen, kids, is we'd go put a quarter in the jukebox and we'd pick our songs and they would play in the order they were requested and so if you wanted to maybe skip ahead to your song you just walk up there and bump a jukebox right because it would change it would it knock the needle off the record and it would change to the next song and so that's kind of what this is about you know don't change that song it's my favorite record number eight and this is i asked ricky ratman one time what's the most underappreciated song in the Faster Pussycat catalog. He gave me this one. I wasn't as familiar with it. I put it on, and I absolutely agree. They play it live. Uh, Sam tells me it is his favorite song to play live. It's number one with a bullet. It is a great song. It's a little more, um, it's got a heavier edge than maybe some of the stuff you're used to from those first three albums. You know, and I think the first three are all great. There's, you know, there, there is, I guess, some, a little filler in the first one. Wake Me When It's Over is a masterpiece to me. It is one of the best albums of the 80s. And then Whipped, the third one that came out. And that was right when the music industry was beginning to change. And so the album didn't maybe didn't get the support that it did, but it's still a very, very, very good album. Number seven, Cat House. And, you know, Ricky Ratman and uh, Tammy Down had uh, the club there uh, in L.A., uh, called Cat House, but uh, this is the song, I guess, that uh, kind of inspired all of that. A legendary venue, too. Number six, this is the first single off Wake Me When It's Over, and it's Poison Ivy. And it's a little bit, it's not a cover, it's kind of a take on the old uh, Poison Ivy standard. Their their take on it is much different. Basically, all they did was kind of take the, the chorus, and then they, they kind of looped it around, too. So it's really not even close to being the same song, but it's kind of in that same vein. Number five, also off Wake Me When It's Over, and this is one that didn't get played on the radio, and for good reason. Probably not one you need to play around your kids, but it's called uh, Slip of the Tongue. And I love the beginning of it because it's like there's this tuning radio, like you're just you're trying to find a great song on the radio, and you, you you young kids don't understand that. You know, back before we had digital radio, you know, we'd have to like turn the dial, and then you hear all this static, and then out, then then a station would bleed in and bleed out, and so that's kind of what you hear. But musically, it's phenomenal. Uh, number four, also off Wake Me When It's Over, it's Where There's a Whip 
there's a way. Uh, again, probably not something you want to play around the kids, but um, this is another one of those songs too that just kind of gets you going. I don't lyrically, I, they could have played this as instrumental, and I would have dug it because it is absolutely an absolutely rocking tune. Number three, and it's sometimes in my life, this has been my favorite Faster Pussycat song, and it is on the album Whipped, which is the third one, the follow-up to Wait Me When It's Over, and um, Tammy abandoned the uh, the blonde locks and went all black, blarking the hair up. The video is actually really cool, but it's uh, nonstop to nowhere, and that was really kind of hitting the MTV airwaves, you know, in the infancy of my recovery. And I kind of adopted that song in many respects as kind of a theme song because I, you know, I had been through so much heavy stuff in life that I just, I just wanted to go live. I wanted to enjoy life. And so nonstop to nowhere, I, I kind of took it as, you know what, I'm going to go wherever I want. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to, I'm going to go meet these people. I'm going to go enjoy this. I'm going to go enjoy life. And so that's really what it's about for me at some point i'll get that I, i've thought about that before for years but eventually i'll get that non-stop nowhere tattoo somewhere but um that's kind of how i feel you know it's just let's just go wide open and wherever we go it doesn't really matter as much as long as we're together let's just go have a good time uh number two and this goes back to the very beginning one of the probably the most recognizable riff in the faster pussycat catalog and it's bathroom wall and again it's, it's kind of a sleazy song but uh it is a it's a, it's a, it plays well live. Let's just say that, ever because everybody sings along. It's like again, it's like Aerosmith on steroids. It's like they took a double entendre and then like instead of leaving a lot to the imagination, Tammy just tells you. But number one, and I think everybody would agree, this was the it's a huge, huge hit for them. And I usually don't like to end on ballads, and this is kind of more of a rock and ballad. But but it's House of Pain, and this song holds some, some really some special memories for me because you know when it first rose to prominence. You know, I was just a teenager. I didn't really know what pain was. I mean, you think you do because everything just seems to matter so much, you know, when you're in, in high school. You think, you know, that anything that happens is going to just, you know, be the end of the world. And there's so many times like today when there's all these young people that I read these awful stories about, you know, things they do and the way they live their lives. And you know, a lot of people get caught up into addiction. And, and, and I was obviously on my way. But, man, when I, when I find out about these kids who, like, harm themselves or, you know, have killed themselves. It just breaks my heart, you know, because I was that kid. And, and so I just want to take them all up and just hug them and tell them and that, not, that it's not always going to be this way. I mean, in high school, you think, you know, all of this stuff out here matters. But, you know, when you're on this end of it, really none of that stuff that happened in high school even matters. It does at the time because you got to get up and deal with it every day. And there's always people whispering behind your back or pointing their finger. And I can't even begin to imagine what it's like going to, you know, school in the social media age i mean there's nothing hidden anymore you gotta really be careful how you live your life but there's just so many of those kids out there that um you know i i know how they're feeling because i've been there and so so you know my dad and i you know t- towards the end of my you know addiction my we really got estranged and, and kind of rightfully so right and so i sent the lyrics to this song to my dad when i was in jail i wrote them all down i sent them to him and uh, he didn't like it but it really kind of began to open up a dialogue for us to talk about some things other than college sports. And, um, and so, you know, because I was a kid that grew up, you know, without my dad in my life every day. I mean, I got to see him about once a month, and, and that, that was kind of the extent of the relationship until I got much older. You know, but I missed him. You know, I did. It's like I didn't understand, you know, why life was the way that it was. And, you know, and when you're, you know, when you're five years old, six years old, and, 
you, know, you go to school and you find out you know, that you're different, you know, because you don't know that you're different until you go to school, right? You don't under, you think everybody kind of lives the way you do, and so so this song is very special. I have shared this story with uh, with Tammy before, and uh, last night I was standing in the front row, and uh, he he looked right at me, right middle of the song, and and kind of you know gave me the gave me the thumbs up, and uh, it meant a lot to me, you know, for him to do that. And I think it's important too that we share with our you know with our idols a little bit too what you know what they mean to us and so house of pain is the song and uh thankfully i don't live there anymore right because we do recover but i just want to share that because sometimes i get caught up in and everything else you know and and uh sometimes i forget who i am and uh and so i think it's important to kind of share you know there's some again there's so many young people out there and if you're one of those people and you somebody talk to you call me find me on social media because i've been there I know exactly how that feels, and at some point, we all have in some respects, but, you know, I was that kid that was really struggling, you know, to make the transition from childhood to adulthood, and, and I ran from it, and I ran from pain and, and, you know, conflict at every turn, and so, but I came out the other side of that, and so that song will always hold a special place in my heart, because it was really kind of a turning point in my life, and so... I don't you know, ever want to make too much of that sort of stuff, but I think it's important for us to show some vulnerability and some authenticity. And so happy to say, you know, that uh, my dad became my best friend, and uh, I miss him every single day. But I always go back and I think about, you know, how hard it was to write those lyrics down and put it in an envelope knowing that he was going to read it someday because he had no clue how I felt, no clue whatsoever. And that's the bigger part of all this is communication, being able to share with people uh, how you really feel. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Blair's been my friend a long time. I can't remember when Blair wasn't my friend. Uh, yeah, I probably, you know, it goes back a decade or more. But Blair is a guy that uh, works for Fairway Mortgage. And listen, that's not some fly-by-night, you know, subprime lender that's going to, like, you know, close your mortgage and then, like, sell you out. That's not what they do. Blair is in the top 1% nationally with Fairway Mortgage, one of the top five mortgage companies in the country. So if you're looking for a new purchase, if you're looking to refi, if you're looking for a home improvement, Blair can handle all that stuff. He's been doing this 21 years. There's a lot of people out there that are very talented that don't have his level of experience. Blair can get the job done. Visit closewithblair.com today. You can check out rates. And some of you guys may be thinking, you know what? We want to buy a house. But we, don't, we don't know if we're going to be able to get qualified. Well, that's easy. Blair can help you with that. He can let you know what you need to do to get yourself in a situation to be house buying ready. Give him a call today. 601-500. That's 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. Closewithblair.com. That's Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. He can get you taken care of. All right, let's, uh, let's get back to our burning questions. We'll round out the West in this segment. LSU, very intriguing team. And I, to be honest with you, I think there are a lot of people in the SEC media that kind of kid themselves a little bit. They say, well, you know, LSU was kind of an anomaly last year. They'll, they'll figure it out. I don't think people realize how bad that team was much of the year. Through eight games last year, they're three and five, and we all played an all SEC schedule, right? But they were three and five down the stretch, and then Ed Orgeron, everybody was you know calling for his head, and then and listen, Ed's Ed's a good emotional leader, 
in many respects. But let's be honest with ourselves. I mean, that 2019 season was the perfect storm. They go out and they get Joe Burrow and listen at Orgeron, kind of led the charge on that. The guy's an elite recruiter. There's no question about that. But is this more of what Ed Orgeron really is? I mean, you look at his time at Ole Miss, and yes, we all learn and develop and we get better over time. But this whole thing with LSU, you know, a lot of people are thinking, oh, well, they'll, they'll be back, they'll be back, they'll be back. Well, what if, what if Eddie O is back? Right? What if it really wasn't Ed Orgeron? What if it's Brady? What if it's Burrow? And now all of a sudden those guys are gone in the NFL. So what if we're going to go back and see Ed Orgeron and we're going to find out, you know what, the guy's really not a good football coach. But a lot of people say, well, it's LSU, it's LSU, it's LSU. You know what, going to be bad two years in a row. Well, you know, the thing that I consider, too, is what about all this off-the-field stuff? I know you can say, well, you know, it's time to get away from all that, get back to the field. But, you know, we get into football season, those type of things are going to be hanging over their head. There's going to be a lot of discussion about that. We're still waiting for the sanctions. We're still waiting to find out how the NCAA is going to handle both the men's basketball and the football program's sanctions. It's, and to be honest with you, it's unfair to LSU and everybody else that it's taken this long. We talked about the NCAA earlier in the show. They should have found a way to streamline that process. And listen, it's worked out well for us. But when you've got these big high-profile cases, and I understand taking your time to be thorough, but you're basically holding these schools hostage by taking as long as we do. There's just no reason for it. So that you'll have all this cloud over the program, you know, and then there's the sanctions, and then there's another cloud. It's like we saw with Ole Miss. You know, it's like you know, the, the, the investigation and the scrutiny – was actually worse than the sanctions in many respects. And that's not to say that Ole Miss got off light. I, I, I laugh when people say that. Really, the only thing that didn't fit the matrix was the loss of scholarships. When it came out and said 13, I thought they meant 13 in addition to what was self-imposed, which would have been right. They would have nailed the sanctions if they'd gotten that. But, you know, the two-year bowl ban, all that stuff, that stuff's very serious. People act like, oh, they got slapped on the hand. No. No, Ole Miss didn't get a slap on the hand, and LSU won't either. And so how will LSU respond? With all of that, will Ed Orgeron have this bunker mentality? You know, it's like, okay, listen, it's us against the world. We're going to go ahead and show them what we can do. Because you saw some of that down the stretch, right? But let's uh, let's be honest here. Let's, I mean, let's take a closer look here. Can we really give LSU, you know, yeah, you give those kids some credit for kind of hanging in there. But they go to Florida and beat Florida when Florida had everything to play for. And But knowing what we know about Dan Mullen, are we surprised at all that he lost a game down the stretch he shouldn't have? So is that more about Florida and Dan Mullen, or is it about LSU? It's probably a combination of both. And then LSU beats Ole Miss 53-48. to Okay, is that about Ed Orgeron rallying the troops? Or is that about Ole Miss having – absolutely ridiculously bad defense it's probably a combination of both so I don't, I don't know that we can give Ed Orgeron all this credit for saying oh look how he rallied the troops and again there, there is some of that but there's more to it than just that there's more to it than just you know Ed Orgeron found a way to go make these things happen and so emotion only can only you know sustain you for so long it's got to be execution you know, there's got to be some commitment there. It's got to be one of those things, too, where you you, know, you just kind of find a way 
to put these things together offensively and defensively and go out there and out game plan somebody. You can't just go out there and rah-rah somebody all year long. So we'll see. But I think it's a big year for Ed Orgeron. And I, I think I think a substandard season probably really, really puts him in a difficult position because, again, you've got all this Title IX stuff, the sexual, allegations, sexual assault allegations. Uh, now you've had more lawsuits. So a lot of that documentation is going to be public record. And then you've got the NCAA stuff. And so it's like every time you turn around, like for OSU, it's been kind of death by a thousand cuts. But those cuts have run pretty deep. Some very serious issues there. And I, I read the, you know, the, the Joe fan on the message board and says, oh, they're not going to do anything to OSU. Oh, they absolutely are. It may, they may not go as far as they should, but they're going to be sanctioned in both basketball and men's football. And, and to be honest with you, I think them hanging on the Will Wade probably hurts their situation more. It doesn't mitigate anything. You know, when you've got a guy caught on a federal wiretap making the claims that he made, and then everybody's like, ah, it's okay. No, I, I think if they had – maybe gotten rid of Wade, I think they probably could have avoided some some of the more serious penalties. But uh, I'll be shocked if lack of institutional control is not part of that deal. All right, so let's talk a little bit about uh, A&M now. So life after Kellen Mond. You know, guys, I'm not a big Kellen Mond fan. I think you guys know that. But you got to give the kids some credit last year. That kid, he had, a, what, one win away from the playoff? I mean, that's how close it was. They nearly made the FBS playoff last year. And I think a lot of people look up late and you're like, what? A&M, they quietly had a great year. And, and everybody's been kind of waiting for it to click there with Jimbo. But it's like now they're kind of in the end of a talent cycle in some respects. And now you've got to figure some things out. So what do you do? It's very, the West is going to be this year of new quarterbacks in many respects. And so in some ways, maybe that helps A&M. Jimbo's a guy that's been able to develop quarterbacks throughout his entire career, but there have always been some growing pains early. And and he's not unique in that regard. But A&M is a team I think you look at and you say, okay, they have been historic underachievers and have been in, uh, in the SEC as well. I think in many respects, they think they should be Alabama, but they're not. And I don't know that they ever will get there. And that's the thing, too. I don't know that it's just limited to football, too. Look at baseball. you got some one of the most anemic histories in Omaha of the Southeastern Conference. Your Kentucky's never been. But, you know, A&M has been an awful Omaha team. And, and historically, they just haven't been, you know, very good in postseason play in baseball. So maybe it's a cultural issue there that we're unaware of. You know, A&M, we're just really kind of getting to know you a little bit. I've been in a conference now almost a decade. But it's um, – it's interesting with the resources that they have. They haven't accomplished more, and I'm sure their fans probably think and wonder the same thing. I think Texas is the only school in the country that has a bigger athletics budget than A&M. But what do you have to show for it? You know, some mid-level bowl wins? You know, there's just not a lot. And so I think A&M is going to be, again, a good team. I think there's going to be a lot of parity in the West this year. I think Alabama is going to be good, really good. They could be great if Bryce Young comes along. I think I think the rest of it is just going to be, you know, kill or be killed type deal. I think there's just going to be so much parity uh, in the West beyond Alabama this year that we're going to see a lot of this SEC Western Division teams beating each other up. So, you know, you could have a situation where A&M loses to Ole Miss one week and then beats OSU the next. I think there's going to be a lot of that with A&M. And I think that's going to be pretty indicative of the West as a whole. All right, let's talk Mississippi State. You know, the, the thing here is, can Mike Leach 
get Will Rogers and this offense running the way he has run it historically. Because let's be honest, this isn't the first time that he's seen an eight-man zone, right? I mean, come on. And so you got to think a lot of this is the fact that he had K.J. Costello coming in, who was a first-year starter, that really struggled to make decisions. I mean, some of the interceptions that he threw last year were just – I mean, and listen, K.J.'s a great guy. We could have grabbed one of the students out of the stands and thrown some of the interceptions that he did. He was very impatient, took too many chances – you know, sometimes you want your guy to go up and make a play for you, and then sometimes he would make that decision and then have incredibly bad ball placement that would lead to an interception. There's sometimes you look at it, he just tried to do too much. You know, Will Rogers comes in, you know, as a true freshman, and the next thing you know, we start moving the football a little bit. The offense begins to kind of take some shape. But listen, Will's got to be better too. But, you know, the, the, the nucleus of that offense is all freshman, right? Most of it. We all know what we had down the stretch. We took a bunch of freshmen, even had some walk-on linebackers playing, and nearly beat the University of Georgia. You, you had a couple ball games, Georgia and Ole Miss both, that went down to the last play of the game. But can we get this thing rolling offensively? Not just be serviceable. You know, Mike Leach is one of the most prolific offensive minds in the history of the college game. I dare say the entire game of football. So this is not new. And, I, like, I read some of the comments you know, from some of our high school coaches, too. It's like, man, if all it takes to stop the air raid is to drop into a zone coverage, we're in trouble. Well, you don't think that he saw the, the zone at Texas Tech, at Kentucky, Washington State? It's not new. It's not, it's not like all of a sudden that uh, you get to the SEC and all of a sudden they stop running man coverage. Yeah, everybody knows this. And so, yeah, you you got to know that Mike Leach knows these things. And now it's about him imparting that knowledge to Will Rogers. We didn't expect Will to start last year. That, that was not even in the cards. We thought he'd play a little bit, get his four games in, and then be the starter this year. That was the hope. Little did we know we were going to throw him out there and, and kind of limit the offense until he had a chance to kind of get things going. But, you know, Will's a winner. Mike Leach is a winner. And so I do expect the offense to take a big step forward, and I think the defense will be as good or better than it was last year. And I think when you begin to think about the job that the Jason Washington, Tony Hughes, and, and Mar- uh, Darcy McBath had, did last year with very limited numbers in the secondary, and the fact that this defense was still as good as it was, I, I think really bodes well for the rest of the year for us. You just got to stay healthy back there. We didn't generate a ton of pass for us last year unless we blitzed. We didn't have we had, we had to play third and fourth team guys at safety because of all the injuries we had, and so now you get those guys back. You got some numbers. You got more more people to work with. So yeah, they should be better. But the key to this season is going to be offense. If our defense can just be anywhere close to what it was last year, and we can run the offense as proficiently as it should, yeah, you know, we shouldn't have any problem making a really good bowl game. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. 
fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Not a Florida Bowl, but we should have an opportunity to go to you know, a pretty solid mid-tier bowl game, and then next year I think would be even better. But again, the, the whole discussion in the SEC is going to be about quarterbacks either stepping in or stepping up. There's just you, know, you look at the West, there's just not a lot of guys out there you look at and say, hey, these, these guys are bona fide stars already. You got Johnson at LSU that won the job and, you know, <laughs> helped uh, load the portal up a little bit when TJ left. But, you know, this is this is going to be an interesting year in the West because we always talk, oh, you're the quarterback. Not this year. Not this year at all. Let's talk Ole Miss. There's no denying that Matt Corral has a tremendous amount of arm talent. 
I mean, the guy's a pro prospect. I mean, anybody that tells you otherwise, it's just, you know, looking through life through uh, maroon-colored glasses or maroon lenses, excuse me. But a guy can really play. Decision-making hadn't always been there. Part of that's just kind of the maturation of a quarterback. The the issue at Ole Miss is going to be defense. They they were awful, and they've been awful. They've been historically awful at times. And I think, well, I think defense is going to be better. Well, how could it be worse? Well, it could be. You know, they were last in the SEC against a run last year. Last. And so when you have a potent offense like they have, and all of a sudden you have teams who are limiting your possessions, they're running the football. And, and, and listen, some of those drives were quick too because Ole Miss was just so bad. And then you lose, what, what I guess, half the starters off that team. So you got to lose a lot of the experience you had a year ago. So they've got to figure some things out defensively. They're going to be able to win some ball games because they're going to be able to get in some track meets and they're going to have the best shoes, right? <laughs> now, you don't have Elijah Moore, and so that's big too. That's big. But they've got plenty of guys out there that can catch. Uh, Jerry and Ely, of course, should be back and be good to go. You know, so, you know, I think you know, John Rice Plumlee is going to move out there and stay at the slot. And so they'll have some interesting pieces offensively. You know, but what do you do the day when the offense isn't clicking? You lose a ball game because you can't stop anybody. You know, what do you do when somebody limits your possessions and all of a sudden you get behind a little bit in the ballgame, you get a couple scores down, and you got to press a little bit, maybe you take some chances and you turn the ball over. And so, you know, Ole Miss last year, a little bit prone to turn the football over too. So, you know, but again, it's going to be basically what it has been you know, the past less than half decade or so. Is they're going to go out there and score a lot of points and they're going to give up a lot of points. And so if you turn the football over, they're going to blow you out. If they turn the football over, you're going to blow them out. There's, there's not going to be a lot of uh, – low-scoring game for them. Just not – and listen, uh, Jeff Levy is a great coach. Dottie might get the Central Florida job. And uh, I, I do believe this will be the year. I, I think, you know, he'll ride the success of what Matt Corral can do. And I think uh, Jeff will go get a job somewhere else and and, uh, and probably do a really good job. But, yeah, they're going to be able to score some points. But that's what we're used to, right? I mean, yeah, that's what, that's what they did under freeze. They scored a lot of points, couldn't stop anybody, you know, and then uh, they have, you know, Matt Luke is there and they score a lot of points, couldn't stop anybody. You know, and so it'll be more of the same. And that's one of the things, too, when you, when you recruit and put your best players on offense, you put your best athletes on offense, this is kind of what you get. So that's, uh, that's how I kind of see this Ole Miss team thing. But, again, you know, anybody that thinks Matt Corral is not going to go out there and put up big numbers this year kind of kidding themselves. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. A lot of people are starting to get those orders in, and thank you guys for being patient, not just with Campus Bookmart, but with all of our Starkville vendors. But Campus Bookmart's my favorite. They absolutely are. Uh, go by and check them out. See the lovely, talented Susie in person. Go by and see Miss Kathy Brown, Stand the Man. These people are, you know, they're a big part of our community. You know, they've been here. They're going to be here. You can get your textbooks there. You can use their, if you're a commuter student, you can use their free parking lot. How about that? You can just park out there behind their building and walk to campus. You don't have to pay for a parking pass. It's there. It's free. It's a service they provide to you guys. They're happy to let you do it. Just throw them some business when you need some school supplies, right? And when you need your, your Mississippi State Championship shirts. Visit them today at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Some of you have been surprised. You have used canvasbookmark.net for the first time, and you put the code in, and it pops up and says, Beautiful Steve Robertson. You think I'm joking? I'm not. It is very, very real. It's very real. 
Again, canvasbookmart.net. All right, let's look at the SEC East. So Dan Mellon finally got to Atlanta as a head coach last year. Congratulations, Dan. Um, didn't work out. But listen, Florida came to play in that game. I, I give them a lot of credit. But, you know, the issue last year with them is just defensively, they just didn't have any dudes. You know, a lot of people blame Grantham. But, you know, I think some recruiting woes, you know, kind of came to the forefront last year. I think, you know, they, they didn't have the dudes to be able to run as aggressively as they wanted to. They weren't as good at corner, so they couldn't afford to send an extra DB in the blitz package. And then teams kind of picked them apart. And I was really disappointed how well teams ran the football against Florida in big moments. And there were some times they put up some good numbers uh, in run defense. But in big moments, there were times that uh, they just simply couldn't rise to the challenge there. So the quarterback thing, again, Kyle Trask, not necessarily the best fit for the Mullen offense because he just wasn't a plus runner, just couldn't handle the running component. But, goodness, look how far they went. And, and again, that's, that's a tip of the cap for the genius of Dan Mullen. I mean, you, you, you find out what your quarterback can do well, kind of craft a game plan around that. And so, you know, Dan makes it to Atlanta. And, uh, but what's going to happen now with Emory Jones? Emory Jones is a guy that can really run more of the zone read stuff. That's really what he's good at. Now, where he's going to get in trouble is when they get in third and long. When you get in predictable passing downs, what's Emory going to do? Very athletic guy, but he is a guy at times that, you know, really breaks down when he has to survey the field. And so I think that is uh, the part of his game that's got to come on. Listen, he's been, listen, I'm an Emory Jones fan. I think he's the perfect fit for the Dan Mullen offense. But I, I think that he is a guy, too, that will give you the football if you let him. Now, if you sit there and let them get, you know, run the run the counter tray and run quarterback power all day and get four and five yards a game, a, a play, you're going to be in trouble because Florida's going to run you out of the stadium. The next thing you know, you commit a, a safety or two up in the box, and then, you know, it makes it, it's easy to play pitch and catch when you don't have a safety over the top, right? Now all of a sudden I can just run the fade. You know, or I can run the post because I don't have to worry about double coverage across the middle. So that's where I think Emory needs to take the next step. And, and uh, a couple of years ago, I had a chance to go watch Florida practice. Uh, and, I, and I thought, you know, you, you look at Emory, and he looks exactly like what you would want a Dan Mullen quarterback to look. And I can only begin to imagine how he is now after having a couple more years in the weight room. So Florida, again, got to be much better defensively, much better. And uh, you're talking to some of the guys on that staff here in the offseason. You know, they're like, you know, that's that's where we've got to take the next step forward. We've got to have some guys step up on defense. We've got to have some guys really develop and mature. But this Florida team is still going to be very good. I just don't think that they're elite enough this year uh, to win the East. And, of course, it always boils down to Florida, Georgia, and the ball games there. But I think there are some teams in the East that are capable of beating this Florida team this year. Uh, the team that I expect to win the SEC this year is Georgia. I really like this Georgia team, and I think it's going to boil down to JT Daniels. You know, he played exceptionally well against us. This is a guy a lot of people, very highly heralded transfer, and people were kind of worried about what he could be, what he, could, what he should be. I think he's going to be the SEC player of the year. I think Georgia, because of the surrounding cast, they got that young receiving court that's now growing into maturity. They got some guys that can catch football. Consistency was a little bit of an issue last year. But athletically, they're one of the better teams in the country. 
And I think Georgia could, is going to be a playoff team. I really do. I think I don't know that Kirby can win it. You know, we'll see. But JT Daniels might be able to. You know, they're going to have athletes on defense. They always do. But if JT can take the next step in the development here, it, it really makes life easy on people in Athens. And so I know a lot of people are going to pick Alabama just out of habit. I'm picking Georgia because I think they're the best team in the Southeastern Conference. I think if JT Daniels performs up to expectations, Georgia is in the playoff. All right, let's talk a little bit Tennessee here. I was a big Josh Heupel fan, you know, when he was at Central Florida. It's going to be interesting to see what happens at Tennessee. Different brand of athlete. Not to mention there is a lot, a lot of nonsense hanging around Tennessee. You know, there was, of course, these NCAA issues that members of the staff are implicated in. And it's not just as simple as, okay, you got a rogue coach out there with a burner phone uh, doing things like that. I mean, you had you know, members of the staff that had knowledge of these activities, and that's going to be the more difficult thing for them. Is A lot of these things happened under the supervision of Jeremy Pruitt and allegedly and sometimes under the encouragement of Jeremy Pruitt. And so Tennessee was kind of recruiting – outside the lines a little bit, and then you've got staffers involved in the allegations. I'm eager to see what that report's going to look like, that NOA, because I think that's what's going to see. You're going to see some people probably lose their jobs in college athletics for the foreseeable future. So Hypo and them are having to recruit with that over their heads, and so it makes me wonder, you know, they're having some really good success, but it makes me wonder, you know, what are they telling these guys? Is it all just women's basketball on track, Josh? Well, we know that it's not. But, you know, a lot of these guys that are 17, 18 years old, they don't do that kind of research. So it's Tennessee. You know, I'm going to go up there and uh, wear the big orange and play in the Eagle Stadium. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens to this recruiting class once those sanctions are known. And, and you know, again, this has all happened in the last year. So, goodness, these kids may be graduated by the time we know what's going on, the way the NCAA has moved the enforcement process and uh, I've heard there has been uh, you know, really a logjam up there in many respects, too, just because of lack of personnel. But I, I think this Tennessee team can be pretty good, but their pass defense has got to be better. They were 11th in the SEC last year. They were giving up over 30 points a game. So offensively, because of the fact Hypo is a guy that is an offensive guru in many respects, they're going to be able to score some points. I just don't know if they're going to be able to stop anybody. That's going to be the real issue. And, and listen, they're going to play against some pretty prolific offenses this year, too. If you look, I mean, they're going to play Alabama, they're going to play Florida, they're going to play Georgia. You know, so they're going to see some teams that can put up some points. I just don't know if they can keep up. So it's going to be a different brand of Tennessee football. And that's one of the things, too. You know, Tennessee, there are, there are cultural issues up there, and we all know that. And I think the, the pending probation is a byproduct of all of that. But, you know, Tennessee's got to figure out who they want to be. That's the thing you look at, you know, offensively, a lot of these coaches they hire are just not similar. You know, Jeremy Pruitt comes back, you know, you know, Butch ran some elements of the spread, and then they bring in Pruitt, and, uh, you know, Pruitt basically goes back to you know, the old school, you kind of running the old Alabama offense, you know, more of a hard-nosed type guy. And so now all of a sudden, now after a couple of years of recruiting that way, you're going to go, to, you know, run the spread again. And so there, there will probably be some personnel issues in many respects, some growing pains associated to that. But, you know, if, if Tennessee 
told Josh Heupel, hey, you're our guy for the next six years. Heupel would be a fool not to take that job. And at the end of the day, I, I, you know, I, I don't think it's a bad hire. I know a lot of other people said, oh, you know, Josh this, Josh that. And, you know, but as far as the football aspect of it goes, I think he's got a chance to do a good job. And as long as they're committed to him and don't give up on three years, because there, there will be a dip. And you say, well, Steve, there's already been one. There's about to be another one because there's going to be these sanctions and that's going to be part of the issue. Now, right now they're riding high and doing a good job, but there will be a dip. Okay, South Carolina, you know, Shane Beamer, that's, that's the guy we love, right? I mean, Shane's a guy that was one of us for a while, married a startable girl, married Steve Gladney's daughter. I really hope he does well. I really do. Shane is an incredibly nice guy. And a lot of people say, well, you know, if his name wasn't Beamer, he wouldn't get that, that, that opportunity. I, I don't know that I agree with that. Yeah, I think Shane's a guy that has you know, paid his dues in many respects. And, and you can say, well, you know, he's never been uh, you know, really a coordinator, and that's probably true too. But uh, I know that Shane worked hard to get this job because it is a job that he wanted and thought he could be successful at. And uh, I hope he is. But it, listen, it's going to be a tough year. And so there need, the expectations, I think everybody kind of understands. You know, it's a first-year coach. And you had a bad year last year. you got you got to reestablish culture up there. That's one thing about South Carolina. They're so up and down. You know, you, you know when Lou Holtz took over, they had set an, S, an NCAA record for consecutive losses at the time. They had the longest active streak. Spurrier comes in, they do really well. And then it's been kind of a train wreck ever since. You know, they have some decent years and they have some really bad years. And, uh, you know, we all knew the well Muschamp power was questionable in the first place. And, you know, one could argue that the Beamer hire is questionable, considering his lack of experience as a head coach. You know, maybe perhaps, you know, Shane needed to go get a job as an FCS coach, but he didn't do that. Maybe he could have been a G5 head coach, but he didn't do that. And now here he is as head coach in the SEC. But, again, I think expectations need to be somewhat tempered this year because that's a roster that's really in transition. They should be able to run the football a little bit, but, you know, can can they be better – and be more one, be two dimensional on offense. Those are the things you kind of think about. Uh, Luke Doty's a first year starter, you know, kind of limited at the wide receiver position. And so you ought to be able to run the football. If they can establish the run and then have an opportunity to throw the football around just a little bit, I don't think you need Doty to go out there and win games for you, just not lose them. They can be decent. But this is a roster, too, that is definitely definitely in need of an influx of talent for sure and again I think they'll be patient with Shane I think he'll have time to kind of get his guys and get some things in place but uh, at the end of the day this I don't expect it to be a big year for South Carolina I don't think anybody else does all right last segment of the show brought to you by Portico you know Brooks Bryan man you right you know Brooks you know the hero against the University of Washington arrived at home run to send us to Omaha we love going to Omaha guys and Brooks <laughs> Brooks helped us get there twice. Now Brooks is giving back to Starville in a different way. Brooks is part of a great group of developers that is bringing this great residential development to Starkville. It's Portico. I've shared with you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, I've been here since 14, if I was moving now, I'd move to Portico. Close to campus. Uh, I got four and a half acres out here. I wouldn't have that there. I won't have as much you know, to keep up with. So that, that's kind of cool too. But the proximity to campus to me, is a huge selling point. Not to mention, they've added that neighborhood market right there. And so, like, when you, you're on your way home and you're like, oh, i got to pick up a gallon of milk, which right there. 
You know, instead of you having to go fight the big Walmart to get stuff, you can just go zipping it out of there and go grab your gallon of milk in your home. We talk about features and benefits in life. That's a nice benefit there. The feature is the Walmart. The benefit is the fact that it's right there by your house. But it's also not overrun with you know retail traffic where it's, it's a noisy area. It's just not. How do you get there, Steve? What's really easy? You turn off of 82 on the 12 like you're going towards campus. The very first right is Pat Station Road, which leads you to Portico. You'll pass over all West Point Road, and there it is, 1.1 miles away from campus. I mean, how cool is that? If you're going to be a bulldog, don't you want to live near the dog pound, right? Many of you have said, I'm going to make a, uh, a pilgrimage back to Starville and make that my home someday. Why not now? Those are one of the questions. That's my big question in life. Why not now? Why Someday I'm going to do this. Well, someday never gets here if you don't take some action. So call Brooks Bryan today. At least that'll be a positive step, right? Call Brooks, 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. And how, how about you call Brooks, and then when you guys pick out a house, you call Blair. We got you taken care of right here. We're trying to make Starkville a better place, and you being here would help us with that. We love it here. You will too. Portico, make it your next move. All right, so let's uh, let's talk. Let's round out the East here. So we've got a few teams left, guys. I, yeah, I guess I come across sometimes as a Kentucky hater. I ju- I'm, I just don't think they're very good. I think in many respects they're a step behind us. And I know, listen, I know they beat us last year. I expect Mike Leach to run them off the field this year. You can say, well, Steve, I don't go look at the history of the series. You know, we've gone up there, and to be honest with you, some fluky things have happened to help them win a football game against us. Listen, they weren't a good team last year. Now, they were in 18, and we still were up there within a score in the fourth quarter, and we, you know, after Brian Cole makes a pick there, and we just, you know, we couldn't get anything going. We were just so pedestrian in the offensive line. We still had to get some things figured out. We were so undisciplined as a football team at the time, which is very disappointing. But Kentucky, guys, one of the most anemic offenses in the league, last in the SEC in passing last year, and that's been the case for the last couple of years. They have not been able to throw the football. Now, I don't think that's schematic. A lot of people, oh, Eddie Grant. No, no, it's got nothing to do with scheme. It's got to do with recruiting. you got to go out and get a quarterback. And we've got all these other guys. They've got these four- and five-star top quarterbacks that just need some seasoning. You know, Kentucky has went out there and basically recruited a lot of G5 quarterbacks and just kind of hoped for the best. It's just not working out. So they go out and get uh, Liam Cohen. This is a guy that's been with the Rams, and he, he was at UMass and a few other places. And so, they're, again, they're making some changes to try to get the passing game going. The transfer uh, will leave us in from Penn State. We, we know from experience just because a transfer from Penn State shows up doesn't mean you get better as a football team, right? All due respect, all involved. But now you've got a new coach, doesn't know his personnel, with a new quarterback, doesn't know his teammates. And so – I don't expect them to get better this year on the offensive side, this year. But I think this is going to be the book on Mark Stoops. I think this is his identity. He's been there long enough now that, you know, there, there, are not, there aren't trends. This is just kind of who you are. They're going to be a team that really gets after you on defense. They're going to run a lot of odd man fronts. They're really good against his own read. Uh, they're a team, too, that's very opportunistic if you get loose and fast with the football. But they're not a great offensive team, and they haven't been under Stoops. You know, even when you had Benny Snell, they, they weren't a great offensive team. They were good. They weren't great. 
And so if you can play a little defense against Kentucky, you can win the football game. You know, you go back and look at our numbers last year. I mean, that's that's one of those things that just kind of blows my mind. We go up there and lose that ball game 24 to 2, right? 24 to 2. Now, you get a little deeper into this thing and you begin to realize that uh, they didn't have a good ball game either. We gave them the ball game. It was a 14 nothing game at the half, right? 14 nothing. I'm going to run these numbers down for you here real quick. Just quickly. Guys, uh, Kentucky had 10 first downs in the game. We had 18. Had 10. So they ran for 84 yards. They threw for 73. We threw for 275. They threw for 73. So they had 157 yards of offense. And beat us by three touchdowns. Well, you know why? Because we go out there and turn the football over at every opportunity we had. Six interceptions in the game. Six. We gave the game away. Because, well, you know, Steve Kentucky. No. no. You're not going to beat anybody with six interceptions. They didn't turn the ball over, did I remember? They couldn't move the football. We have one bust. You know, they are doing absolutely nothing in that game. And the next thing you know, they get loose on a long run. I'm going to look it up, too, just because I want to see. Because I want to relive the misery one more time. Scoreless after the first quarter, by the way. And so, yeah, here it is. So, Terry Wilson. It is uh, third and 13. So, we're fresh off a sack. Tyrus Wheat gets in there and sacks, Wheat, uh, sacks Wilson. So it's third and 13 at their 35 in a scoreless ball game. And you're thinking, okay, we got a chance to get the ball back here. Not going to have great field position, but, you know, we'll have the ball back, right? We shouldn't be pinned back too deep. And what do we do? We lose contain, and Wilson tucks it and goes because he, there, was nothing, there was nothing there coverage-wise. And he runs 51 yards. 51 yards, sets up a touchdown, it's 7-0. And then, again, we're just kind of biding our time here, and we go all the way through this thing. We have an opportunity to get ahead, and, um, you know, know, what do we do? You know, we shoot ourselves in the foot again and again. We're driving a tie the game, just moving right on down the field. We settled in, doing great, just going right down the field. We started our 33 uh, we get inside the red zone, and then KJ throws a 76-yard pick six. It's 14 at the ball game. So, yeah, we had a thread on Gene's page, and people said, "Should we be worried about Kentucky?" And then, of course, there's always yeah, some. I, I don't know how you guys get through life. I mean, I, I love you to death, I do, but some of y'all need to try a decaf coffee. I mean, really. And and I say that with as much love and, and affection as I can make. It's like, guys, we are a better football program than Kentucky. We have on them in this series the last 15 years. And, yeah, they've had some success at their place. You know, we're playing at our place this year. They haven't beaten us since the Sylvester Croom days. And some guys said, well, that doesn't matter. Well, you know what? Last year doesn't matter either if you want to talk about that. We go up there and throw six interceptions, and we're just going to erase that and just kind of write that away. It's part of football. But Kentucky has not played well here. And it's funny how that works, too, is, you know, because whenever we get ready to go, well, we haven't won in Baton Rouge since 91. Until we do. And we did, right? 
And so that's always the thing. It's like it, the, the negative stuff only applies to us, right? Well, we can't – we don't ever play well on the road over there. But, you know, Kentucky never plays well on the road here. So why doesn't the same standard apply? I just ask you, why? Because you're scared of losing? Because you don't understand competition? And so at the end of the day, this is a Kentucky team that we should beat. And I, I spent way too much time talking about Kentucky, but I, I just get so irritated at times when, um, you know, people act like that we're so similarly situated. And you know what? Turnovers are part of the game too. But if we don't commit six turnovers, it's a different ball game. We gave the ball game away. We did. We, and we've really done it our last three trips to, to get to Lexington. We have. All right, let's talk Mizzou. I like this Mizzou team. I think Eli Drinkwood's going to do a good job there. Now, the big question is how do they replace Larry Roundtree, who was phenomenal. And they, that's the thing about Mizzou. They play so well with a lead because of Roundtree. They just get that unbalanced line and go to work, man. And, uh, listen, they've got, they've got Abedee that's coming back, and he should be a decent player for them. Uh, Tyler – excuse me, Tyler Batty, excuse me, um, or Beatty. But that's like the quarterback, and we saw him some last year. Yeah, this is, a, this is a team, too, that I think can surprise some people in the East. You know, they finished 5-5 five and five last year, and I think, we could, I think we can all argue that's probably State's best win last year. I think they're even better than Tulsa. You know, I know Tulsa – uh, you know, had a really good year last year, but I thought Missouri was actually a, a better team, and we dominated Mizzou. Um, and again, some bad luck for them too in the ball game. But you know, listen, you look at the last year; they get off to such the bad start. You know, it's they're zero and two to start the year and got blown out at like at uh, Tennessee. You know, and that's you get Alabama first. I mean, you, you can't really judge anybody on that. And then they get LSU at home. And they showed everybody that LSU's not as good as they expected. They beat them 45-41. And then they go on a little run here, and they win, what is it, three, four of the next five? Yeah, four of the next five. And they beat Kentucky 20-10. Kentucky couldn't score. Shocker. Then they get blitzed at Florida, and then they go on the road and beat South Carolina. They blast Vanderbilt, which everybody did. And then they beat Arkansas. 50-48. And they got you know, blown out by Georgia and Mississippi State, you know, in the end. But that's a first-year coach with a young team. You know, Roundtree, of course, is a, a veteran guy. But listen, I think this Missouri team is going to be kind of a trendy team in the East. I don't, there's no, they're not contending, don't get me wrong. But they're going to beat some people they're not supposed to beat. Eli Drinkwitz is a great coach. The guy knows offense. I think they take a step forward. But I think a lot of it's going to boil down to running the football. But I think the running aspect of that offense is about scheme rather than personnel. I think they're going to have a great opportunity to do some cool things. And real quickly, I want to run down the schedule. Because I think you're going to look up at the end of the year and you're going to see their record and say, wow, Missouri won that many games? So they get Central Michigan at home. Then they go to Kentucky. And I think that's great for Mizzou. Uh, then they get SEMO at home. They go to Boston College, which may be tough. Tennessee at home, North Texas, then A&M. That's a three-game homestand right there. Probably need to find a way to win two of those three. You, you certainly expect North Texas. But uh, then you go to Vanderbilt, you go to Georgia, you host South Carolina, Florida, and you're out of Arkansas. Now, I think you could look up at the end of the year and this team could be 8-4. and four. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're 9-3. and three. They're going to be interesting. I think they lose to Georgia for sure. And that's the only one you look at and say that's certainly a loss. They get Florida at home. 
That's going to be interesting. But I think that I think this Missouri team, and you know, I may eat these words uh, come November. I think Missouri is going to be a much better team in the East, and they're going to they're going to influence the SEC race, East race, because they're gonna they're gonna beat somebody that people aren't expecting. All right, let's finish up with Vandy. This is not a good Vanderbilt team, and um, you know, and I, I don't want to beat the Vanderbilt people up. But they don't support this team. They don't support baseball either. And it's one of those things that I look at, and, and maybe it's because we're so passionate about everything here. No, what's up, men's basketball? We don't support men's basketball. Maybe they do better than we do. But, you know, I understand that, uh, you know, Derek Mason, the end of that tenure wasn't very good and people had kind of checked out. But that team last year was absolutely abysmal. Absolutely, you know, and that was you know Derek Mason's teams always play with great effort. That team didn't play with effort, and then you had some off the field issues, you know, that happened up there, and you know, and so and Derek moves on, and, and he'll do a great job. But they were not good last year, <laughs> and they're not going to be very good this year. And I know Clark Lee is there, and it's a new you know, my buddy Barton Simmons on staff up there. They were eight and nine last year, and that was the thing early on when. They nearly beat A and M in in College Station, and quite frankly, they should have. But they lose seventeen to twelve down there. They just couldn't put one in the end zone. And then after that, it was off to the races, man. You know, the, the only close game they had, I guess, down the stretch was you know us in Kentucky. But you know, they're a team that quit. But. You know, early on, they were, they were playing pretty well, and I think it's one of those things they kind of figured out, well, we're not going to play our non-conference schedule, so there's no chance of us going to a bowl game. And I think many of their players and fans expected Derek Mason to get to get fired, and he did. Got fired before the year was over. But, uh, you know, Clark Lee is a Nashville guy, and they're working hard to kind of, hey, stay home. They're kind of doing what Memphis did, you know, telling all the Memphis guys, like, hey, yeah, you could go to State or Ole Miss or – you know, Arkansas State or whatever, why not stay here and be a hero in your city? And so they're doing a good job with that up there at uh, at Nashville. Because Nashville, you know, listen, it probably doesn't produce college football prospects at the rate it should. But they do enough that I think Vandy can go and get some of those guys. And, listen, Vandy can kind of get away at times kind of getting you know, some of those G5 guys, and especially if they're local guys, because I think it's important to maintain those relationships. But, you know, the whole situation with Vandy is going to be so incredibly – challenging this year i mean they're they're just they're bad on that roster they're thin by even vanderbilt standards in football and and, I, and again i'm not trying to be difficult or you know to be disrespectful but this is a roster that is in dire need of an overhaul and and listen many of those guys the biggest headlines they made were standing over the vanderbilt dugout and talking trash to mississippi state players in a baseball game and and that's the thing you begin to look at too and you're know, coming out lighter and, and then you know verb you know having some things to say to our parents and that kind of stuff. It just doesn't speak well. And I think it kind of – I think it's probably indicative of where the culture is there football-wise now. It's like, well, I, you know, we can't make any noise on the football field, so let's go make some of the baseball game because there's nobody here anyway. So, and again, Vanderbilt, thank you so much for participating in our national championship series. It was uh, – it was it made it a little more rewarding that you were there, just so you, just so you guys know. It, it really, really meant a lot for you guys to show up. What – and show up and participate because now we don't have to listen to that stuff you know and i guess in some respects you don't either you don't have to listen to us whine about scholarships as you say 
because we beat you in an AFL championship game. That, that's your defense now, right? Say, well, our scholarship advantage must not matter too much because Mississippi State beat us. And we did. And we want to thank you guys for showing up. We really, really do. Because I think at the end of the day, I think outside of it being Arkansas, I think you guys were the team that Mississippi State fans most wanted to beat. I really do. Probably even more so than Arkansas. There's some Mississippi State Twitter, Twitter, Twitter folks that may disagree because you know Arkansas Twitter is kind of kind of silly. But uh, there's some there's a few Vandy holdouts out there on Twitter trying to fight the good fight. But I, I think because when you look at the you know the behind the scenes rivalry. Because we know what we got with Arkansas. Those guys are a great program. They're a great team. And you guys are too at Vanderbilt. The difference is is that uh, you just got more scholarships to work with. And so, anyway, uh, that's kind of how I feel about that. So, Vanderbilt, good luck this football season. So, before we get out of here, I want to thank you guys too. Uh, so much. Listen, so many people I saw yesterday in Jackson talking about the books and how excited they are for Dogpile. And I told you guys I got a few chapters read, and then I'll, I'm going to work on one today. And i uh, going to work all week on this in the afternoon. So I'm trying to get some jeans page stuff done in the morning. Hopefully I won't have to sleep as late tomorrow. Uh, we'll get some things going. We'll do our, our chat session. I'll try to do a Facebook Live at some point just to kind of let you guys know that I'm still alive. Uh, unless you come to rock shows, you may not know that. But um, we're going to work through this. And uh, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. And I've had so much fun going back and kind of reliving and chronicling those series because, you know, there's so many players that we were counting on early on that didn't make the starting lineup in the final few months of the season, final couple months of the season. It's like I remember thinking, I remember defending this guy and it didn't work out. I remember defending this guy and it did work out. But, you know, this is a roster that was really in transition even heading into conference play. You know, we had a lot. You know, usually you, you want that first month of the season to kind of answer your questions and tell you who you can trust. Man, there were as many questions in week one as there were in week four. You know, we still weren't sure if we were going to be able to um, count on the weekend rotation. You know, we go into that Eastern Michigan series and Bednar had not started a game. Eric Sarantola had been all over the place. Christian McLeod was up and down. You know, so we had this highly touted SEC weekend rotation, and we didn't even know going into our first SEC weekend if we could count on them. We weren't even sure who our starting left fielder was going to be. We were beginning to have these issues at first, you know, offensively with Josh. And so it's like you look back in hindsight and you really realize how far this team came. And I can only begin to imagine – you know, what a year would have felt like had we had some consistency in the starting pitching at the beginning of the year. You talk about potentially a dominant year, and we still almost won the SEC. And I remember thinking when we were in Omaha, I even said this to Dave Murray. I said, man, isn't it amazing how far we've come that we're going to win an SEC championship with only one consistent weekend starter? Are you kidding me? One? You know, we kind of pieced it together. On Sundays, you know, you had Sarantola had the first month and Fristo had a month and we were kind of back and forth and we did the piggyback thing with Fristo and Harding. But it's incredible to think that we never really settled that until the postseason. Same thing with the order. You know, we finally find the order. We get Kellum Clark out there. It gives us, you know, you know, a left-handed power bat. Where would we be if we didn't have Kellum Clark? I mean, honestly, you remember he was hurt. I mean, hurt. He was sick much of the early part of the year. And then in postseason, we put him out there and, uh, as the DH. 
we don't win the national championship without Kellum Clark. And he wasn't even in the lineup the first month of the year. I don't know that we won an Apple championship with Brad Cumbus, and he was really in the lineup the first month of the year. You know, Drew McGowan was starting a lot left back then. You know, Braylon Skinner was supposed to be your day one left fielder. And then it was Drew McGowan after he got hurt, after uh, Skinner gets hurt. And then, you know, things offensively weren't clicking. We needed a little more pop in lineup, and then Cumbus begins to play a little more, and Skinner gets healthy. And, you know, so it took us a while to settle that down. Not to mention, you know, the fact that we, you know, we had to shuffle things with Forsyth and, and Cam James and um, Landon Jordan. And Landon Jordan ultimately leaves the program. And, and I'll be honest with you, I thought about that before too. It's like, you know, he leaves and then we win an AFL championship. That's a, that's a difficult thing to, to live with. And so, Landon, wherever you are, buddy, wish you the best. I know, I know he's headed down to South Alabama, but that, that's a difficult thing to live with. And that's a guy from Mississippi State family, and I really like him a lot. It, it didn't work out, and he had to do what was best for him. But uh, that, that's a difficult thing. I mean, it really is. He was a contributor. You know, he really was. He played airless baseball. And, uh, you know, really through no fault of his own, you know, he, he didn't get to play. And uh, we had to keep Cam James back in the lineup. And, and let's just be honest, Forsyth's a better defender than either one of those guys. And Landon didn't really have a, a true position, but he was doing a good job at third for us. Just didn't have the range of Cam. But I think about that kind of stuff a lot. I think about – and that's something that guy's got to live with the rest of his life. So I hope he goes to South Alabama and has a great career and gets a chance to get in the minors somewhere and, and uh, make some things happen. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. All right. And, uh, listen, thanks so much for you guys that bought books. And uh, if, you, if you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you can find it. Uh, let's see, Turnrow Books, phenomenal bookstore. They've got all four books signed. So you can go by today and pick up a signed copy of Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, Flim Flam, or Blooms of Oleander. Uh, Lemuria Books also has them. I'm going to be, this Friday, I'm going to be downtown in Starkville at Book Martin Cafe from 5.30 until around 8. Signing books as part of the Unwind event downtown. So if you're in Starkville in the Golden Triangle, come by Book Martin Cafe Friday, the 23rd. And then August 7th, 2 to 3-ish. I'll be at Lemuria Books in Jackson. A lot of people have said, Steve, when are you going to do a silent event in Jackson for this book cycle? I told you guys I'm not going to tour a lot for this one because the fall is going to be very, very busy for me. So those are your dates right now. Might add one or two more, but we'll see. We'll see how what, what things look like in August. But uh, i got to get this other book finished up. So I, just, I don't want to be on the road a lot um, here over the course of the next couple months. I want to really dedicate myself to this. And uh, you can find those books online at alphadogsthebook.com. That's A-L-P-H-A-D-A-W-G-S, thebook.com. And you can get personalized or signed copies that way as well. So, again, thanks, as always, for your support. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander online, you can find it at, at Amazon, Books A Million, or barnesandnoble.com. Very, very easy to find. That's going to do it for today. I'll be on schedule Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, for you guys. And... Uh, We'll figure out some country on Wednesday. And maybe we come back with some with some Lillian Axe on Friday. Maybe that's what we do. I'll talk to Roy about it. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20.